Every day we hear news about violent assaults, carjackings, and other acts of crime spiraling across the United States. Washington's answer is to confiscate your guns, but a new book from Regnery offers hope for a better solution. Professional firearms instructor and veteran gun store owner Larry Correa's new book, In Defense of the Second Amendment, pulls back the curtain on Washington's gun-grabbing agenda and how you can protect your rights as well as your family. Yet, In Defense of the Second Amendment, new from Regnery, available at Amazon.com. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest asked the question, of all the gods, gurus, and good people out there, why Jesus? Why follow some ancient carpenter turned philosopher, from a podunk town in the Middle East, a man whose own people didn't believe in him for the most part, it just doesn't make any sense, or does it? Well, with his signature insight and contagious enthusiasm, popular speaker and apologist Ray Comfort, he walks through 12 persuasive reasons to believe in his latest book, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. Proving that Jesus of Nazareth was who he said he was and why it matters today. He covers uh, everything from the virgin birth to Jesus' miracles and teachings, including his hard sayings, his detractors, uh, his exclusive claims, and his commands to his followers. Through it all, he shines a light on how Jesus stands out and stands above every other teacher, prophet, or historical figure that's ever been out there. Well, Ray Comfort is an experienced apologist and popular speaker. He's written over 100 books, including Faith is for Weak People and Anyone But Me, a co-host of the award-winning TV program Way of the Master, which airs across the globe. He's the executive producer of several award-winning movies that have been seen by millions. He and his wife, Sue, live in Southern California. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let me ask you what motivated you to take up this subject. I mean, obviously, we're living in a what is referred to as a post-Christian era. What motivated you to write on this subject in particular and to put it in such a way? Why would anybody, anyone, follow Jesus? Well, we're very fortunate because of the last two years, people have been thinking about their own mortality like they never have mm-hmm. before. You know, we say young people aren't interested in things of God. It's just because we haven't put it in a way that would make them interested. All I do is say to young people, I go to colleges and just ask them one question. Do you think there's an afterlife? And they say, no, I'm not sure. Well, do you think about it much? And they say all the time. And so it's being put to the forefront of their minds. They're going to die. You know, when I was about nine years old, I used to play cowboys and Indians with my friends. I'd get shot. I'd roll down a hill lie there for 10 seconds and get up. And as time went on, as I became a teenager, I thought, hang on, there's a day coming when I'm not going to get up. And I, was, I faced my own mortality. That was what opened my heart to the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 15 says that every human being has a haunting fear of death, and it says all their lifetime. And we can tap into that by saying, do you know the Bible says Jesus Christ has abolished death, past tense? and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Did you know that? Did you know the Old Testament, God promised he would destroy death, and the New Testament tells us how he did it? And you see their eyes widen because they've never had anyone talk to them about these issues before, and it's something that Christians need to step up to the plate and learn how to do. Well, this certainly is a book that will help us 
to uh, articulate our faith and answer these questions that we sometimes aren't even aware that people who are on the edge of faith are asking. So this does a couple of things. It helps equip us um, to respond in an effective way, but also to consider what people are thinking about as we um, encounter those who don't yet know Christ. Now, one of the things that I, uh, one of the features I appreciate about the book is the witnessing encounter that you include in each chapter that gives us a, a glimpse into conversations you've actually had with people on the subject of each one of your chapters. Tell our, our listeners a little bit about this feature. Yeah, it's really exciting. By the way, the whole book's written in a New Zealand accent. I deliberately did that. But it's interesting <laughs> to be a fly to be a fly on the wall while someone's getting witness to. You know, my dog uh, follows me. I've, I've got him on my bike. He wears sunglasses. And he's my bait when I go fishing for men. People come up and say, I love your dog, and I get to talk to them. But I've noticed that he intuitively knows what a cat looks like. I've never shown him a picture of a cat. He also knows what his own cat looks like, dogs. I haven't shown him an encyclopedia of dogs saying, this little one here looks like a mouse, but it's a chihuahua. This one here looks like a horse, but it's a great dame. He intuitively knows his own kind. Cat, he'll growl at it. Dog, he'll be fascinated and wag his tail. And we're the same. When we look at human beings, I don't know if you ever watch television and you watch a, a sporting program, they do a zoom up on the crowd and you're fascinated by all the faces. There's one that looks like Aunt Martha. That guy's not large. Yes, look at that. Here's Pyle there. We're just really fascinated by people. Well, here we get to sit in like a fly on the wall, the most fascinating conversations you can imagine. People talking about their own fear of death. That's something, you know, when I say to people, are you afraid of dying? It's like the eyes widen, and they think, how did he know? I didn't tell my mom about this. I haven't told my brothers and sisters, but there's this fear of death that I've got. Well, you get to hear people talking about the fear of death. These are actual genuine witnessing encounters. They're the cream of our YouTube channel, which, by the way, has just passed 193 million views. I'm so excited to have such inroads. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's just it's really thrilling. We're very humble and thankful to God for that inroad. But... Here we have the cream of our witnessing encounters, the transcriptions put in the book, lining up with each chapter, and it's very exciting. In all the encounters that you've had, and I think for many of us, we imagine, man, he's a gifted communicator. He's an apologist. He knows how to engage in conversations. I, I'm reluctant. I'm fearful. Is there a, can you distill a number one reason why people question Jesus? Is there a common thread that seems to run through the hesitation that, that you encounter in your conversations? Yes, because they don't see their danger. If someone doesn't show any interest in a parachute when they're up on a plane 10,000 feet, knowing they have to jump, then you've got to learn to hang them out the plane by their ankles for five seconds, and they'll come back in and say, well, where's that, where's that parachute? And so what I do with strangers is I say, do you know what death actually is according to the Bible? They'll say, no, what is it? It's wages. And they'll always repeat what I've said. They say, wages? Yeah, I say, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Very famous Bible verse. In other words, God is paying you in death for your sins. It's like a judge looks at a heinous criminal that's murdered three girls, and he says, Judge, this isn't serious. These were prostitutes. Come to the earth. I was doing society a favor, and the judge says, I'm going to show you how serious your transgression was. We're going to pay you in the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what you've earned. This is what's due to you. And sin is so serious in the eyes of a holy God, he's given us the death sentence. We're on death's row. We are waiting to die. We have a big holding cell with a nice blue roof here in Southern California, good air conditioning, uh, good lighting, but this life is a holding cell. And then I say to people, do you think God is justified 
and giving them the death sentence. Are you that evil? Do you think you're a good person? They'll usually say, well, I think I'm a good person. So let's find out. Let's look at the Ten Commandments for a minute. How many lies have you told? I say lots. Have you stolen from them? Yes. So you're lying thief? Yeah. You still think you're a good person? Kind of. Ever use God's name in vain? They say, oh, yeah, bad habit. I say, would you use your mother's name as a customer? They say, no. So why not? Well, that would be disrespectful. It would be horrible. I said, yeah, that's true, but you've taken the holy name of God, your creator, the one that gave you a mother and gave you life, a name that godly Jews won't even speak or write down because it's so holy. You've used it as a substitute for the S word. That's called blasphemy, punishable by death in the Old Testament, if that's serious. And I said, one to go. Appreciate your honesty. I said, okay. So Jesus said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Ever look with lust? I said, yeah, well, I do it all the time. I just can't stop it. So, well, what's your name? Eric. Eric, I'm not judging you, but you've told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterate heart. You've earned your wages. On Judgment Day, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? They say, guilty. <clears throat> Heaven or hell? Well, I'll end up in hell. So what should you do? And that's when you share the good news of the gospel, that Christ took the punishment due to us upon himself. We broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. That means we can lose. We can leave God's courtroom. He can take the death sentence off us all because of the death and resurrection of the Savior. And all people have to do to find everlasting life is repent of sin and trust in Jesus. That is, turn from all sin, don't play the hypocrite, and trust in Jesus like you trust a parachute. So you give them the biblical gospel preceded by the moral law, as Jesus did in Mark 10, verse 17, and you'll find the harvest truly is white, ready for, uh, ready for harvesting. There's a lot of skepticism these days, and a lot of it is focused on who Jesus is and what he, uh, what he said about himself and about us. Uh, let me ask you, why do you trust in Jesus? And what do you find as the, the reason that, that generations today struggle with, first of all, believing who Jesus says he is and then trusting him as the scripture says we ought? Well, Jesus is utterly unique in the sense that he's the only person in history who's had the honor, if I can put it there, with that way of having his name used as a cuss word. Not Napoleon, not Hitler, not Muhammad, not Rasputin, nobody in history except Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 7, the world hates me because I testify that they're evil. But when it comes down to it, there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. So you can look at all the great religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, etc. They do not offer promise of immortality because they're based on what's called works righteousness religion. It's just works righteousness. You have to do something to merit eternal life. The game changer is the moral law, the Ten Commandments, what Jesus used in Mark 10, verse 17, because when you bring the Ten Commandments into it, what's called the moral law, it shows us that God is a judge. The throne is the habitation of righteousness. It shows us that we are criminals standing in a dock, guilty before God. So anything we offer the judge is not good works, it's not religious works, it's not acceptable to God. The Bible says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord. We're in debt to the law. But what Jesus did on the cross was God in human form. The Bible says God was manifest in the flesh. And the reason God became a person, the express image of the invisible God, it says of Christ, was to suffer and die on the cross. He paid the fine. We can leave the courtroom. 
So he is the only one that can give us peace with God because of that payment on the cross. So this is good news for Hindus, for Buddhists, atheists, for whosoever will may come. Eternal life is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't get religious to try and please God. All you can do is trust in his amazing grace. And if I may, um, Georgine, just I'd like to address the subject of atheism because it's risen its head Please. so much in the last few years. Mm-hmm. If you ever meet an atheist, just ask him one question. It will almost certainly make him backslide. And you can see this happen on our YouTube again and again. Just let's ask one question. Someone says, I'm an atheist. Say to them, do you really believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? And their mouth will go like a little road tunnel, and they'll say, oh, well, I don't believe that nothing created everything. There's obviously some sort of thing in the beginning that created it. It just wasn't God. I said, well, let's try and find out why you don't want it to be God. And you find out he's living with his gorgeous girlfriend and feasting part of the pleasures of pornography. So it's not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. We can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. But the miracle of conversion, and this happened in my case, happens in the case of every person who's born again, is that God takes your heart and makes you new on the inside. You'll be born again so that you thirst after righteousness. So you'll want to do that which is right. As a non-Christian for 22 years, I couldn't care less about doing what's right. I did whatever made me feel good. I had no thoughts on abortion, homosexuality, any moral issue until I became a Christian instantly. I loved what God loved. Abortion was wrong. Rape was wrong. Murder was wrong. Adultery was wrong. Fornication was wrong. Pornography was wrong. Anything God loved, I loved because he wrote his law upon my heart and caused me to walk in his statutes. That is a personal miracle for every person who's seeking God. Just do exactly what the Bible says. Repent of your sins with a contrite, sorrowful heart. And say, God, I trust in Jesus, your God-given Savior, for my eternal salvation. And you've got a promise from God in John 14, 21, that God will manifest himself to you. Not with voices and bells and whistles, but you'll just have a brand new attitude. It's not something you, you, you do yourself. It's something God does within you. He opens the eyes of your understanding. And everything, everything looks different. When I became a Christian, the sky looked different. The trees raised their arms and praised God. The birds sung his praises in the morning. Everything changed the moment I obeyed the gospel. And that's the gauntlet we throw down to the skeptic. Absolutely. The subtitle of your book is 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. You've just covered one of them. Another in your fourth chapter is Jesus and Exclusivity. Some people are willing to accept the notion that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a good man, and perhaps he has some some things to offer, but to the the notion that he is exclusively the way to reconcile to God, he is exclusively the way to deal with this, the issues that you've just discussed, sometimes trips um, would-be believers up. Can you address that a little bit in, in the context of uh, sharing faith and why it is that we trust and why we should trust in Jesus? Well, you know, when they sent out, the uh, officers to arrest Jesus were reading the gospel. They came back and said, never a man spoke like this man. So when you look at Jesus objectively, his words make no sense. He said this, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming when all that are in their graves shall hear my voice. Now, if he just said, look, one person is going to hear my voice and be raised from the dead, you think, what a nut. But he said, every single human being 
throughout the entire human history is going to hear his voice. He's going to raise the whole dead, as he did with uh, Lazarus, just pulled him out of his grave by saying one word, Lazarus, come forth, and it's going to be a shout of God, and then everyone's going to stand before God. And he said that. He said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He said, I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. And so when you look at those words, you've got to say to yourself, this is not the words. These are not the words of a good teacher. These are the words of God in human form or the words of a madman. Because anyone who says what Jesus said and can't back them up uh, is truly a madman. And so just just read the gospel. That's all you have to read the gospel of John with an objective attitude, and you'll you'll come away saying, never a man spoke like this man. Never a man said the things that this man did. He also said things like this, and this is a very heavy saying. He said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him, he's talking of God, who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell, fear him. Now think of what he just said. You're lying in bed, the door opens, in the darkness you see a man coming to you with a sharp knife. He pulls it back to plunge into your chest. Horror is, is an understatement. Your heart is pounding through your chest. You're dripping with sweat. What a terrifying situation. But Jesus said, oh, don't fear him and kill the body and do no more. Don't fear that guy. But fear him as part of kill your body and cast your soul into hell. In other words, that scenario is nothing compared to falling into the hands of the living God. Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When we use those words, fall into the hands of, you know, like the police, you fall into the hands of the police or you fall into the hands of the enemy, it's saying you're in big trouble. And the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'd rather fall into the face of the sun than fall into the hands of God on Judgment Day. And say so you're just trying to scare me. Absolutely. If you were going to jump out of a plane without a parachute, I'd hang you out by ankles and pull you in, hoping you'll see fear as your friend, not your enemy. Mm -hmm. In that case, and the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And if you don't fear God, you haven't begun to get wise. And if you don't fear God, you'll never depart from your sins. You'll just say, everybody lies, everybody steals, everybody uses God's name in vain. Who doesn't love, swear, and fornicate it? Well, you'll see on judgment day, you'll give an account of yourself to a holy God. And that is a fearful thing. And that's why you need a Savior. So see those fears that are coming up in your heart at the moment as being your friend, not your enemy, because they'll drive to the foot of the cross where you can find everlasting life that comes by God's mercy. Once again, the title of the book, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. Just an excellent book. And as I mentioned, there are witnessing encounters that are uh, following each of the, the chapters that are definitely worth reading. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Again, Ray Comfort, why would anyone follow Jesus? Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, 
That sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 888-SHARE-19. That's 888-SHARE-19. 888-SHARE-19.